Hi everyone, you are listening to The Exchange by Evolution, a melting pot of ideas and inspirations shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the APEC region. I'm Pearly, Associate Consultant with Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help connect businesses with top tech talents. And today, I am your host. Just a disclaimer before we get into the discussion, all thoughts and views spoken by the speakers or myself are only representing each individual and not that of their company. Welcome to another installment of our podcast. On today's podcast, we will be discussing the topic of building and leading successful data teams. I'm delighted to be joined by our esteemed speaker, Samuel Chu, Head of Data Science and Analytics with Sing Life. For starters, Samuel, would you like to introduce yourself and your background a little bit? Okay. Thanks, Pearly. Thanks for inviting me for the podcast. Um, so I'm Samuel. I head up data science and analytics at Sing Life mm-hmm. currently. Um, I'm an actuary by training, so qualification. You can call them the original OG data scientist. Oh, nice. Um, and I've been an actuary for about 10 years, and then I moved into the data science and analytics field for the last six or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I'm an Australian, so I've been there for about eight or so years, and I moved to Singapore for the last six or seven years. I see. Um, so I guess, you know, just an introduction, why did you move to Singapore from Australia? Uh, low tax. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see, I see. Yeah. And um, obviously, thank you so much for joining me. And um, it's really great having you here with us. So, um, back right into the podcast topic today, um, leading and building teams. So, you know, in your 15 years of experience, um, you know, you have led quite a few teams um, in data space. Could you share a little bit more about your experience building and leading great data teams throughout the course of your career? Okay, yeah, so when I saw this question, great is a hard word to live up to because a lot of the, what is considered, I guess, successful and great, kind of only time will tell. Mm. Um, So I've led mainly, so the progression of my career has been actuary and then I led actuarial teams. And then there was a natural kind of progression from an actuarial team to kind of analytics teams because in my field, um, we deal with data a lot and how we make decisions with data. And in the insurance industry, that's kind of what analytics is. Uh, and then the natural progression after that was, okay, data science and how can we do more in terms of using um, computer algorithms um, to do what traditional actuaries did, mm-hmm. which was statistically statistical modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found a bit of a niche, oh, we need technology as well. So that's kind of where the data engineering and the, um, stuff around governance kind of came in as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, I mean, if I were to just put a one-liner, my kind of vision or passion is to try to move data teams away from being support functions to being more core functions Mm -hmm. so you know it's kind of like traditionally it was it Mm -hmm. where you get a requirement you do it you know get a ticket um i want to move us away from you know being measured by a number of tickets that we Mm -hmm. complete to how do we help uh businesses make decisions Mm -hmm. so we get measured by the amount of decisions we help make Mm -hmm. that's that's really great and um you know 
obviously you trying to move um, your team away from just a business support uh, kind of function. Um, how do you actually ensure that, you know, um, your team has a strong understanding of the business side and its goals? Uh, so that one, that one, I think there's multiple levels of how you approach that. So number one is maybe like a couple of years ago, we there was a hype. Data science was like a sexy new job, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of generic data scientists in the in the I guess in the talent pool. Mm-hmm. And so which means that you have a PhD or you're very good at doing neural nets or image recognition or voice to text and those kind of things, and then you're kind of industry agnostic. You can go into any kind of industry and become kind of like the head data scientist. But I think in the last couple of years, we're moving more to subject matter experts. So uh, because the amount of the barrier to entry for a lot of the tools have come down, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the importance is more, do you understand the business and the industry? Mm-hmm. And then you learn the data science on top of that, you know, this concept of citizen data scientist where you don't really need to know how to do Python or coding mm-hmm. and you're able to build models off some of the easy to use tools like you know, data robot, data eco and those kind of mm-hmm. things in the market. So. I think that's one area where you start hiring people who are um, subject matter experts. So then naturally they know where the business kind of angle is. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, is just communication, you know, top-down communication. Sometimes I think for data teams, you need to over-communicate mm-hmm. rather than under-communicate. So, you know, if there's a company, what I do is if there's a company level scorecard, I will go through the scorecard and go, hey, which are the targets that data can help achieve? Mm-hmm. And like, I'll break it down to like, okay, how do I translate that business problem into a data problem mm-hmm. uh, such that my team can get aligned? Yeah. And it's all to kind of, to my previous point, move away from, you know, getting requirements, mm-hmm. build a dashboard, user testing. Are they happy with it? They're happy, then we get rewarded. So mm-hmm. I want to move away from that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, hiring the right talents is definitely one. And I guess the next thing you mentioned, you know, it's just over communicating the business goals and you know kind of aligning on that with your team um, on the whole as well. So you know I guess what are some of the challenges that you have faced uh, in the past or at present? You know um, implementing a data driven culture within the organization. Okay, so I think the one I think it's pretty standard. I hear this question a lot of people a lot of people talk about it. It's mm-hmm. very much deal with the people, mm-hmm. right? With any culture. It's, you know, people, process, and technology, right? It's the mm-hmm. same three things. Technology is hard, but it's not unascertainable. You know, it's, it's, it's doable. Uh, process is, is something that needs discipline, but it's very much the, the work attitude that is, um, that is the hardest challenge for, for culture building. And some of this is around literacy, right? So again, I look back maybe a couple of years ago, it was more about digital transformation and digital literacy. So, you know, do you know how to use apps? Do you know how to use digital marketing tools, social media, uh, and all those things? And then I think we're at the stage, okay, a lot of people know how to do that now. Uh, How do we get data literacy, which is, are you able to join tables together? Do you understand what an average is, what standard deviation is? So some some of that needs kind of an upskilling and training. Um, I think I read a Gartner survey or something where they said that the data literacy drops as you go up the management chain. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes sense, right? So if you're a senior manager of your C-suite, you 
get the data in a nice PowerPoint template or, or in a nice report, and then it already tells you what the insight is and what the recommendation is, and all you have to do is go, okay, yes or no. Mm-hmm. All right, but as you go lower towards um, the analyst level, that's where you start going, okay, how do I join tables together? How do I organize my data such that when there are questions from senior management, I can answer them in a quicker way? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I make sure that my data architecture is reliable and performs, you know, the data quality and all those stuff? So that's where the literacy kind of needs to kind of go up the chain. <laughs> so I think that's part of that's my job, I guess, to um, yeah. set a data strategy and continually communicate both to my team and to the senior management to go, hey, what does this actually mean? How are we tracking against measurable KPIs? Um, how do we need to change our processes in the way that we uh, build even technology such that we do it in iterative ways that we can keep building on um, experimentation and, you know, those, and design thinking, yeah. Okay. Earlier you mentioned, you know, the three questions, the people, um, the process and the culture. Which part would you say is like one of the greatest challenge? Yeah, people. <laughs> people. Cool. Technology you can read and learn. Mm-hmm. Process I can set up and write a document mm-hmm. and SOP. Mm-hmm. People need a bit more time to, mm-hmm. you know, coach and mentor and, and speak to and feedback loops and all that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, when you mentioned that going up the chain, data, data literacy drops. So how are you, um, or rather, what strategies have you implemented to kind of, you know, um, aim in this or mitigate this challenge? That's a good question. That was not in your list. <laughs> I think. Um, so I think, uh, so one of the things I always tell my team is, if you cannot articulate the value of what you've done, then you haven't added any value at all. And I think that's especially true when you speak to senior management. So if you cannot articulate the value of data analytics, then they would always assume that it's a cost center. And, you know, it's nice to have management reporting. It's nice to get the numbers, you know, T plus one hour. Uh, uh, It's nice to do all that. But in their mind, there's no value addition there. It is like, can I get that at the cheapest uh, price possible? Mm-hmm. Right, so, so I think one one of the things is I need to articulate a data data strategy mm-hmm. where it goes beyond just managing information or business intelligence. Mm-hmm. So you know stuff like AI and ML, mm-hmm. you need to articulate the dollar value that you can contribute mm-hmm. to some of the business KPIs. Right, so typically the business KPIs are increased revenue, cut costs, operational efficiency. Mm-hmm. So each of your projects needs to move that one of those three numbers in some certain way and if you can link those two together then things become a lot easier to to get across the line um yeah you know i mean you know most projects doesn't have the rigor on measurement anyway so if you look at a say a marketing campaign it's very hard to measure whether an ad that you did on tv actually gave you sales right so you know there is i mean the gold standard is an a b test but you can't really do uh, and so we as data analytics teams have the tools to be able to help measure um, and so I think we need to apply that to our own kind of value producing work and go okay this is how you normally measure stuff like ad campaigns or, or you know EDM campaigns and so forth I'll tr- 
to go, if we didn't have this model, how much would this KPI be? Mm-hmm. If I had this model, what would the KPI be? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it becomes an easier decision. Right, definitely. I mean, um, you know, being a data professional yourself, you have to have that, have that like strong conviction of the value that your, your kind of data bring, right? Okay, cool. And, you know, I believe you your team runs a lot of um, projects concurrently. So, how do you actually manage and prioritize your data initiatives and projects within a larger business strategy? Uh, yes. So, if I go back to what I kind of said before, if you become a core function and you're focused on helping people make decisions and not on projects or on tickets, mm-hmm. yeah, because projects for me evaluate you know the tickets, yeah, they raise a request and we do it. So the way that I kind of set KPIs for my team is what is the end output that you need to achieve? And then and then the team needs to figure out as a bit of an entrepreneur how much time they need to spend on different projects to achieve that thing. And they have every right to go, <coughs> this project has no value. And then we'll obviously to explain it and then uh, and then just decline <laughs> doing that project. Um, so if if you can align the your team to to that level of business outcome and they become you know again back to the work ethic and the attitude um, aligned to you know the business kpi for example a business kpi might be i want to improve the operational efficiency of my call center team and it's like turnaround time yeah and then so you might come and hey i need a dashboard turnaround time it's like sure that's that obviously you got to measure it but if they go, okay, I want a bunch of other dashboards and stuff, but it actually doesn't reduce the turnaround time, you have every right to go, hey, that's not something that is going to help you. What about this other thing that can help you? So if you can, and this is not easy for a lot of teams to do, yeah? Uh, if you can get that um, kind of level of alignment, then this idea of prioritizing projects kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there will be some where, you know, senior management wants this, uh, and then they'll escalate to me and then I'll, I will go and prioritize for them. But majority of, you know, the smaller level kind of projects, I will let them kind of do their own prioritization. It's kind of like, hey, you're your own business owner and the, and the amount of resources you have is your time, mm-hmm. right? And you need to try to show me that the value you create using your time is X dollars, right? Whatever. And then, so it's up to you to see how you allocate that time. Um, that, I think, makes my job a lot easier as well. <laughs> so rather than go, hey, you do this, you do this, and you do that. Yeah, I guess in some way that develops, um, you know, your team's critical thinking, prioritization skills as well. Yeah, it links back to the, the thing about the, you know, generic data scientists and data analysts versus the subject matter experts. It's very hard for the generic data scientists to have that level of business alignment. So that's why you need the subject matter experts. Mm, okay, cool. And I believe, you know, um, as a data team that you know brings a lot of valuable insights to the business on a whole you guys work a lot with different kind of teams right like marketing for example just an example so how do you actually foster collaboration and cross-functional partnership within um, you know your data team and the larger organization yeah this was a so collaboration is is a soft skill it's not a it's not one of those hard technical skills and and i think there are sure there are things that you can do and i think typical answers are like oh i hold joint town halls or i 
take them out for team building days or we have drinks or lunch together and so that they can you know um, talk to each other so holding more events where there's kind of this um uh, unintended conversations <laughs> yeah but i think i've seen a lot of that in my career and it doesn't really work it doesn't address the core of the problem okay. and the core of the problem i think is is more the the value systems and the ways of working, right? Mm. So I, I do find different people have different views on how an organization should work, mm. right? And some people will be like, hey, I only listen to what my boss tells me what to do, right? Okay. Some people will be, will be like, hey, this person doesn't report to me. It's very hard for me to tell them what to do. Yeah. Uh, some people will be very driven and, you know, this is my, this is what the vision I have for what this is and I'll get uh, everyone aligned around that. So we want people to be the latter. Right, so then the core of the problem is okay. What is the intrinsic value or what they feel an organization should be doing, mm-hmm. right? And and what is their role in that organization? So that that's the core of the problem of collaboration. Is mm-hmm. I don't think even if you put two people whose value systems are very different, they'll chat and they'll be friends. But then they will not when it comes to actual work. They'll still go back to the systems that have been put in place in terms of the hierarchies and the structures and. Uh, who's my boss? Who's going to determine whether I get a promotion? Who can determine whether I get a performance? So, um, this is where a lot of prodding and pulling needs to happen. Where um, if a if a promise person is having trouble with with a, a different team, then then it's like, okay, what is it that their KPI is that you can help them do? Right? How do you communicate what you're doing such that shows that it helps them? Or can you do? I call it pulling an Elon Musk where you you have this such a great dream or vision that you can force them to walk 80 hour weeks and then they don't complain. <laughs> right? So uh, a little bit of this is is a bit of soft skills and, and, and I think it's a bit of leadership as well to just understand what your role is. Your role here is not just to come in, you know, do your work and then you can kind of go home. It's like, and I don't want to say it's a passion, but it, it's definitely um, a different way of working to go hey, we're here to be, help people make decisions. And the way to help people make decisions is obviously to communicate and to explain to them why it is that it needs to be done this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I think it's, there's no other way in my mind. Like data-driven decision-making is probably the way to go. Any other, I mean, there are, there's decisions where there's no data, sure, go with your gut and go make them. Um, but a majority of decisions where there is data, you can use data to inform or help you make those decisions and, and that's why I think the data team is in a powerful position to, to do a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Not sure that answered your question but well yeah it, it does um, to a great extent. Um, obviously you know um, when it comes down to collaboration like you mentioned different people have different kind of belief system and the way they work. Um, at the core of it um, it's really important for your team to kind of um, articulate the importance and value of what you do that would kind of aid the collaboration uh, intra- between teams as well. Okay, so I guess, you know, what are some ways that you guys uh, measure the success and uh, impact of your data team's um, initiatives? Through data, definitely, but... <laughs> yeah. So this, um, I like to think of what we do as being product owners, mm-hmm. right? We essentially have only, really only two products, right? Uh, one is business intelligence and management information which is kind of like business intelligence where you are giving information to people 
and which they can derive insight to make decisions from, mm. right? Um, and then the second one is AI ML. So not really AI ML, it's augmented or automated decision making where we remove a bit of the human out of it and replace it with a model to help them make. So those are our two core products, right? Mm. There's a bunch of stuff that uh, enables to support those two products. Mm. You know, you need a common data model or data warehouse such that your turnaround time is fast. Mm. You need an ML ops framework such that, you know, there's reliability that um, your models don't fail once every second day or something. Um, there's stuff like governance such that you do not have data breaches or mm. data qualities there. Um, so, but the, the end result for what a business sees is those two things, yeah? Your dashboards that refresh very regularly and they can go and make decisions right. or a model that, or I wouldn't really say a model, but it is a business process which uses AI or ML to kind of help them make decisions a lot faster mm -hmm. and a lot more accurate than they could do before. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it as those, then the KPIs are just flow from that, right? So the business intelligence one is I, I use the application world of monthly active users, Okay. right? Um, one, you need to get people on board your platform. So you, typically people have data visualization platforms, mm -hmm. right? So it's are a lot of people using the data sets that you're creating for that. The more people, the more data is being used as an asset in the organization. So the more data team KPI is there. The other one is active, right? So they need to use it and keep coming back to use it, right? Which is around your performance, your kind of reliability, your data quality of the dashboards. Um, there's no point onboarding everyone in the company with one go. They use it, thinks it's crap, and then never come back again. So th that's why it has to be active. They need to keep coming back to use it. Then on the other side, that one's a bit easier. So data science side is dollar value contributed by your models. Um, and, and that's one of the disciplines that I put in for my data science team is, yes, you can measure AUC, ROC, you know, the technical measures or how good the model is, like prediction accuracy, recall, precision, and those things. But the one that the business cares about is the business KPI will say, you know, call center turnaround time. Have you reduced that? Have you not? And there are ways of doing that. You know, you can do an A-B test and go, if you had the model there, what is the KPI? And if you didn't have it, what was the KPI? So those are the two main ones that we use. Cool. Interesting. Um, you know, and obviously with technology rapidly evolving, um, on a personal level, how do you actually stay up to date with all these latest developments in the data technology and integrate them at the same time into the work that you're doing? So I normally just look at LinkedIn, actually. <laughs> so okay. I think I, I um, over the years, I've started following key influencers on LinkedIn. Um, so there are a few, so a couple of ones are InsureTech influencers because I'm in the insurance industry. And there's also data kind of influencers that, that are on LinkedIn. Um, but that's, so that's for me personally, where, where I get my information from. And so, many, yeah. so a lot of times they will link it to an article, I'll read it, see what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is attend conferences. So, but I do find in conferences, there's a lot of marketing, which is, right. um, they're too far ahead the curve. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm in financial services. I don't think we'll ever be on the cutting edge of a technology adoption because we're a heavily regulated industry but 
we do want to be early adopters after someone has tried and failed and figured out what's the best way and then we kind of go in and, and try it out um, so those are the two main ones but i think because of the rapid development in this space and the amount of different software providers startups or tools available out there i do encourage my team to be the to also educate me so you know it's kind of around the community building such that if someone learns something they can share it with the rest of the team you know a good example is the chat gpt right so i didn't really know about it until some of my team said hey look at this thing that you can do and so now we have we, we share on like hey it can it can rewrite code oh and we have different use cases that it does um so that's kind of one of the use case and then so we do regular kind of like monthly sharings of okay i found this thing very interesting share it with the rest of the team um no i have a pretty big team so it's so much easier to learn from each other after someone has kind of succinctly collated and summarized information and share it than me trying to dig out all the you know the research and the, and the information and try and make sense of it myself yeah, i mean that's awesome right um encouraging knowledge sharing within the organization within the team and speaking of chat gpt what are your thoughts just to sidetrack a little bit uh we've tried it it's no it's great <laughs> it's great <laughs> It's, but it is, it is a considered a generative AI, right? So it is there to generate content. Uh, a lot of what data teams do, we're not content creators. <laughs> like, it'd be pretty weird for us to generate data. <laughs> uh, that doesn't really mean anything. So uh, we don't, so a lot of our use cases, we, some of the things that we try to do, all right, when we do presentations, we use, you know, the DALI thing to, to make our pictures right. so you know then we, we get around the copyright issue of using other people on google images um we try doing stuff like hey i've got a piece of code uh, so we use r before because that's the old open source and i, go, I want to convert this to a python script yeah but the key is it doesn't do it 100 percent of the way so you copy paste your code say hey convert this to python that is kind of like 70 percent of the way there then you need to go in and go debug why. Because if you just copy that code that ChatGPT doesn't into your thing, it does not run on compile. Right. So some of the use cases are like, okay, if you don't know how to do it, you can use this to kind of upskill yourself, but you still need the expertise to, to code. It's not like, I think some of people have been glorifying and saying, hey, you don't need coders anymore. <laughs> I don't think that's the case because there's different versions of different packages and then there'll be compilation errors and you've got to debug so definitely you still need people that know how to code but the it is a lot faster in the sense that you don't have to rewrite everything from scratch and go it will do a version of it which most likely will fail and then you can clean it up from there I believe that that's also an exaggeration you know saying that oh coders are our job anymore I mean like don't you do that um, but obviously you know there's still a level of um, human touch or human intervention Generally, I find that non-coders say that. <laughs> if you've been a coder before, you understand that it's very hard to have an AI that replaces you. Yes, yes, that's right. Okay. And, um, you know, uh, in your opinion, uh, you know, just scrolling through a LinkedIn or also through reading and also attending conferences. Now, what are some of the emerging trends and technologies in the field of data and you know, how can data teams stay ahead in the curve? Okay, so the first one, emerging trends. 
I think these things have been around for quite a while. For quite a while, I mean like two or three years. But the adoption has been kind of lower, at least in the financial services industry. So Lake House is big data bricks thing of the new architecture of a common metadata layout over over. So it was used used to be data warehouses. Uh and then it was data lake and then now it's lake house. Alright. Uh, I think there's also this concept of data mesh. Uh, I haven't really figured out what that is. So I think some of these different architectures of how you organize the data is becoming uh, more prevalent. Um, so the traditional data warehouse was it's very efficient, but it was very rigid. If you wanted to change it, it took a long time. And then everyone thought, okay, let's go to Data Lake and you just put everything in the lake. But quickly, because there was no rules to you know, figure out what can go in what part, it became a bit of a data swamp, right? So, and then I think what, what, um, what I've been reading is this concept of data mesh is you have different data warehouses that have a common semantic layer that kind of links them all together. So that's definitely where it's very powerful. I haven't figured out how to do it yet. Uh, I'm trying to implement it. So that's one area. The other area in terms of, um, in terms of um, <clears throat> technology, in terms of data processing, you know, Hadoop used to be the big thing. I don't even know Hadoop. I think Hadoop is not in anymore. And then it was Apache Spark. And then now it's Kafka. All right. So if people wanted to stay ahead of this, I think it's very difficult actually. Right. Because each of them are different skill sets that you need to have mm-hmm. to kind of maintain. So if I was a data engineer mm-hmm. and I could only do... Actually, there was also like DB2, SQL and those things that are yes. back there. I think if I was a data engineer and I could only do those AS400 traditional DB2 systems, I would be a bit scared because <laughs> there's so many um, other stuff. But I don't think it's 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 not similar to like Python and R and, and uh, back in the days of for data scientists. Like, hey, what do you learn first? Given that there's so many languages that are coming up um, in the market, yeah. this one you've got to just try and and and, uh, and see. Um, the last one I think is very important is around data governance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot, load of regulation that's coming up. You know, so MAS has come up with the FEAT framework or the ADA or artificial intelligence data analytics framework. Oh, yeah. So there's stuff like fairness, ethics, mm-hmm. accountability, transparency. It's just how, because a lot of AI models are a black box, yeah. there's a bunch of principles or guidelines now to go. How do you make sure the black box is doing what you're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. So is it being fair to each group of people in society? Mm-hmm. Is it being ethical? Who's accountable if AI goes wrong? Mm-hmm. How do you explain what is going on in terms of uh, transparency? Mm-hmm. So that, <clears throat> so I imagine there will be a bunch of tools or technologies that will come out to address a lot of these. You know, there's also like PDPA uh, data privacy. Yeah. Um, there's concepts of data sharing as well. Not everyone's migrating to cloud. How do you have data sovereignty? Mm-hmm. So a lot of those, I think there are startups trying to address those problems, but definitely for data leaders, you have to deal with them in the mm-hmm. future. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are definitely emerging trends that I see we need to get ahead of. Otherwise, you find yourself non-compliant mm-hmm. uh, and, and then have a hard time to Rearchitect your stack such that you are compliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And 
That's really interesting, right? Um, and really nice, you know, summarizing the new MAS regulations as well. Uh, thanks for educating us on that. And I guess, you know, wrap up. Um, can you share any advice for companies looking to build and scale successful data teams or just improve their, um, how the way they build their data team? Yeah, so I would always say, so I, I hear a lot of, data leaders that go in, hey, I come in, I need you know a million dollars to set up a data lake, and then I need a bunch of money to set up a data science team. I need um, I need some money for an ETL tool. I need some money for a data governance tool. So then it becomes the, the capital expenditure upfront is very big, right? So I would say, if you know what you're doing, obviously go all in like that. But given the, uh, the speed at which technology develops and uh, against again regulations yeah. i would say you need to have a modularized architecture or, or containerize uh, what you're doing so you know you have things that can move around you know you have a visualization tool that hey, you can plug in and plug out you have a, a data warehouse or a data lake in which you can switch around you have an etl tool that you can move and migrate your scripts very easily yeah. uh, then you have a storage layer which you can change out as well so I think that's one of the things that I realized that, <clears throat> you know, with the battle of the AWS, GCP, mm-hmm. Azure, yeah. uh, in the future, and it's not that easy to move, the, move between them. Yeah, Don't mm-hmm. be fooled that they're saying cloud, <laughs> oh, it's hybrid and multi-cloud works. Mm-hmm. It does work, but it's not, you know, the storage of Azure is very different from the storage of, of AWS. So it's it's not as easy to move around. Yeah. You know, and the, and the other point is, I don't think you have to start big. Yeah. A lot of the things you can start very small, you know, because you're in the cloud and there's open source, you know, there's like GitLab repositories, there's, and you are charged by per data point or you're charged by per processing unit. So you don't have to be like, Hey, I need a million dollars to start something. You can like a thousand dollars is more than enough to you to try out something and see whether it works and then, and scale from there. So. I think that's, you know, be a bit more nimble in, in, in the in the way that you think about things. Mm-hmm. And and then the other one is technical debt. I think this is a common thing for software development. Mm-hmm. But I do find there's technical debt in data uh, engineering as well as data modeling as well as data governance. So what I mean is there is an easy way of you to get the dashboard that somebody wants, yeah. which is I pull all this data do an SQL join, get the table, physicalize it, expose it to our visualization tool. Mm-hmm. But then that data set can only be used for that use case. Um, in the future, if you want another use case, you need to build another data set and they might be duplicated. You know, this one needs sales. This also needs sales. But for some reason, this sales is different from this sales. Mm-hmm. So when, when you start doing that and building a lot of, you know, ad hoc data sets, that's when the technical debt starts racking up mm-hmm. and and when you're trying to build fast, yes, that's what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. But what I see is when I go in and see um, data teams that have been doing it for a while, you have probably thousands of different data sets in which there's no single software truth for sales, for example. Um, and that becomes a problem to unwind. So, you know, I have a vision of what is, what is your organizational data model, right? So a lot of people have the organization hierarchy charts in terms yes. of operations, tech, marketing, and so forth. I think we, you need to think about what is your organization data model? How do you view the organization from a data lens? Mm-hmm. 
it's like I need sales data here, I need operation data here, I need you know my sales force mm-hmm. or um, in my case the agent advisor data here. Mm-hmm. I need the interaction data, you know, for to to calculate turnaround time. So that that lens is very important so that you have an overall view that hey, this additional thing that's needed, I should enhance, you know, my operational data marts or data warehouse mm-hmm. rather than trying to keep building additional uh, data sets. And so that's one. And when you build, you need to start putting in alerts and monitoring and, you know, data quality checks such that the, one of the worst things that can happen for our data team is they build a visualization tool and, it, and, it, and I saw a meme on this actually. And, it's, uh, <laughs> and then they, and it's, it's in, you know, your visualization tableau, power BI, click whatever. Yeah. And then they tell you, oh, how do I extract this to Excel so I can so I can manipulate it myself. So, so something has gone wrong, right? You visualize it too, you shouldn't have this extract to Excel. So um, that's where you need to be aware of um, doing all those checks upfront rather than getting the end user to, hey, this is not what I want. And then they're trying to do it themselves in Excel. Mm. Yeah, so maybe that's two, two things that I've realized. <laughs> oh, I think that's really practical advice, right? Um, especially for companies starting out, just building their data teams from scratch. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, All right. I guess that's all the time that we have for today and we'll leave it here. So I want to take this opportunity to thank Samuel all again for providing really great insights and knowledge to the topic. And, um, you know, thank you everyone for listening. I'll see you guys next time in the next episode.